1: Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by Reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Mark Schulman. Mark is the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We'll be talking about current global events. We'll visit with Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Really interesting story on Jim Thompson, the entrepreneur who single-handedly saved Thailand's silk industry. And then he just disappeared. And then we'll visit with Jim McTagg. He's former Barron's Washington bureau chief and author of a couple of great murder mysteries, among other books that he's written. Uh, Follow the leader in its sequel, Shake the Money Tree. It is April the 5th. And by the way, I hope you had a great uh, Easter holiday. a time of new beginnings now uh, with the resurrection. It is April the 5th and on this day in 15, 1955, Sir Winston Leonard Spencer Churchill, the British leader who guided Great Britain and the Allies through the crisis of World War II, retired as Prime Minister of Great Britain. Born in Blenheim, Blenheim Palace in 1874, which we visited, as so interesting, Churchill joined the British Fourth Hussars. Uh, Upon his father's death in 1895, during the next five years, he enjoyed an illustrious military career serving in India, the Sudan, and South Africa and distinguishing himself several times in battle. In 1899, he resigned his commission to concentrate on his literary and political career and in 1900 was elected to parliament as a conservative MP from Oldham. In 1904, he joined the Liberals' serving a number of important posts before being appointed Britain's first Lord of the Admiralty in 1911, where he worked to bring British Navy to the readiness for the war that he foresaw. In 1915, in the second year of World War I, Churchill was held responsible for the disastrous Dardanelles and Gallipoli campaigns and was thus excluded from the War Coalition government. However, in 1917, he returned to politics as a cabinet member in the liberal government of Lloyd George. From 1919 to 1920, he was Secretary of State for War, and in 1924 returned to the Conservative Party, where two years later he played a leading role in the defeat of the General Strike of 1926. Out of office from 1929 to 39, Ch- Churchill issued unheeded warnings of the great threat of the Nazis and Japanese aggression. After the outbreak of World War II, In Europe, Churchill returned to his post as first lord of the Admiralty, and eight months later replaced Neville Chamberlain as prime minister of the new coalition government. In the first year of his administration, Britain stood alone against the Nazi Germany, but Churchill promised his country and the world that Britain would never surrender. He rallied the British people to resolute resistance and expertly orchestrated Franklin D. Roosevelt and Joseph Stalin in an alliance that eventually crushed the Axis. After post-war Labor Party victory in 1945, he became the leader of the opposition and in 1951 was again elected Prime Minister. In 1953, he was knighted by the Queen Elizabeth II and awarded the Nobel Prize in Literature. After his retirement as Prime Minister, he remained in Parliament until 1964, the year before his death. What an illustrious life and what a great leader and what a timely leader showing up at the right time. Uh, For the globe, for the world. Uh, Yesterday, of course, being Easter, President Donald Trump made this declaration. Happy Easter to all, including the radical left crazies who rigged our presidential election and wanted to destroy our country. (laughs) (laughs) Some people dislike him for these statements. Uh, For me, I'm just very fond of President Trump and how he is so out there in terms of his, his own personal feelings and expressions. On Friday night, President Trump and former First Lady Melania Trump and Barron Trump appeared together for the first time since leaving the White House, and President Trump received a standing O at Mar-a-Lago. Congratulations, President Trump. By the way, he made another statement, too. I'd like to just read this to you. It's in smaller print, so I may have difficulty here, but uh, we'll be talking about this in a moment. For years, the radical-left Democrats have played dirty but boycotted by boycotting Products, when anything from that company is done or stated in any way that offends them, now they're going to, this time, they're going to woke capital, cancel, canceler. <laughs> I can't say, it. cancel culture and our sacred elections. It's finally time for Republicans and conservatives to fight back. We have more people than they do, by far, boycott Major League Baseball, Coca-Cola, or Woka-Colas, I've heard it called, Delta Airlines, J.P. Morgan Chase, Viacom, CBS, Viacom I should say, CBS, Citigroup, Cisco, UPS, and Merck don't go back to the products until they relent. We can play that game better than they can. They didn't even uh, get approval of Senate legislatures when it was mandated under the U.S. Constitution. They rigged and stole our 2020 presidential election, which we won by a landslide. And then, on top of that, boycott and scare companies into submission. Never submit. Never give up. The radical left will destroy our country if we let them. We do not want to become a socialist nation, Happy Easter, uh, President Trump wrote. I appreciate President Trump. Uh, In his Easter message, Joe Biden didn't mention the gift of the resurrection of Jesus Christ once, not once, but mentioned coronavirus seven times. What does that tell you? Well, the Florida Department of Health on Saturday and Sunday reported a total of 186 cases, uh, more COVID cases, and uh, five new deaths in Collier County. That's over the weekend, over a two-day period. There are 43 in hospitals in Collier County on April the 2nd. So as you can see, we're starting to see this coronavirus tail off at least here in Collier County, also in other parts of the United States. NPR article suggests that Americans should continue wearing masks after pandemic ends to cut down on flu and cold transmission. Notably, they don't quote or cite a single American medical professional who recommends that. An NPR article released Thursday, earlier this week, suggests that a debate has been spurred as to whether Americans should continue to wear masks even after the COVID-19 pandemic is over. The article notes that, anecdotally, employers and educators have observed that illnesses once other than COVID-19 have dropped dramatically since mask wearing became required in many locales. Specifically, it's also true that the flu deaths have dropped since the beginning of the pandemic. However, as the medical professionals quoted in the article note, it's not even evident that the drop in other communicable diseases is attributable attributable to masks at all, and might have be due to the fact that people have been more diligent about calling out for work when they are suffering from any kind of fever and are generally not intermingling as much due to lockdown orders. Notably, although the article suggests the existence of a debate among medical professionals about whether mask wearing should continue, it doesn't cite or quote a single medical professional who advocates for mandatory masking at the end of the pandemic. And I think this is the kind of thing that's going to continue. We'll continue to see this, and I t- truly, rec- I truly believe that right now, if all mask mandates were dropped, uh, and I believe more than half of the population would continue to wear their masks. In fact, I found this from uh, Dr. Stella Emanuel. She's part of those, one of those physicians who spoke out against uh, for uh, hydroxychloroquine. She says, uh, she says, I came out of Walmart in Texas where you don't have to wear a mask. Mask mandates have been lifted, but everyone except me and seven other people among the hundreds that were there were still masked up like sheep, she said. Slaves who love their chains shall remain in their bondage. Wearing a mask to stop COVID is like putting up a chain link fence to stop mosquitoes. I felt such sadness and compassion for how humanity has been programmed and caged. May God have mercy on all of us and deliver us in Jesus' name, she said. That uh, from Dr. Stella Emanuel. Couldn't agree more. Uh, I think the pandemic of fear is actually worse than the pandemic of the virus itself. Not that we shouldn't be careful about the virus. I'm not even suggesting that. But what I am saying is that masks don't do anything for us, quite frankly, in my opinion. I think Dr. Stella Emanuel is right. Uh, But social distancing and being careful, I think that's important. But uh, the, this virus is not deadly like as many people think. It's uh, you a know, chances of going to the hospital at about 5% if, uh, in our age cohort in, in any event. On Saturday, the Florida governor issued a state of emergency after a reservoir that holds hundreds of millions of gallons of wastewater sprung a leak. And the problem is because the water contains small amounts of radioactive material like uranium and, and radium. And the situation is being called an imminent hazard. The potential flooding if the reservoir's structure collapses could create a 20-foot wall of water in a matter of minutes, flowing into nearby communities. Officials have evacuated more than 300 homes as they scramble to prevent a catastrophic, catastrophic flood situation. Now that I believe is somewhere near Tampa, and uh, it's a real concern. Uh, this month's mo- uh, employment report came in much better than expected on Friday. The economy. Created 916,000 jobs, far above the 668,000 expected. The unemployment rate ticked down to 6%, which is still elevated elevated compared to the Trump era pre-pandemic lows, but in line with the historical average. So again, we continue to create jobs, although this new unemployment payment that's coming out is going to deter people from looking for jobs, which quite frankly is too bad, because people should be involved and should be working, not masked up and uh, spending their $300 in, in the basement. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine, be in the know and stay up to date by Reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to visit with uh, Mark Schulman, Mark is an author. He's written several books, mainly on past presidents. He's also the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website. It's called HistoryCentral.com. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. To the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. And that's just one of the initiatives. Find out more by visiting thefga.org. Coming up, are going to visit with Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation of Economic Education. Right now, we have with us, as I mentioned before the break, Mark Schulman. He is an author. He's written several books. He also writes columns for News... Uh, for I think it's Newsmax of, or Newsweek. Newsweek, if not mistaken. And, of course, he is the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website for kids of all ages, including you and I. It's called HistoryCentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Always a pleasure, Bob.
1: Thank you, Mark. So, uh, uh, for our listeners' benefit, just to know that you are in Tel Aviv right now, and uh, here in the United States, we're seeing a precipitous drop in uh, COVID-19 cases in California, and New York, apparently, and right here on the Paradise Coast. But that's not the case across the con- across the globe. What are your thoughts? No, absolutely
2: not. So, so here in Israel, uh, it's effectively it looks like totally over. Um, the vaccination program has succeeded. Uh, We were about 10,000 cases a day in January 1st. Uh, People started getting their second doses in January 12th, I think I got my second dose. And at this point, we're about 150 cases a day. Hospitalizations decreasing from about, we had about 1,200 critically ill people in the hospitals. Now we're down to about 300. Mm. Um, So the vaccine works, it worked very well. Uh, We have a situation here is that there's a, a green passport and if you have a green passport, it means you're vaccinated, you can go to indoor events. Otherwise, you're limited to outdoor events. So, green passport, you can eat indoors, you can go to an indoor concert, indoor type of events. If you don't have one, you have to eat outdoors. Now, kids haven't been vaccinated yet. They're waiting for approval at um, the age 12 to 16, they're hoping to do soon. So, basically, Israel's a success story of vaccination. That's great. Europe, on the other hand, has been a disaster. I got a email from a close friend in Germany the other day, and she's just beyond herself how messed up things are, and she um, she says, you know, we're, we're blaming it on the EU, but we're Germany, and we pretty much run the EU, so we have to look at ourselves. There's something really wrong. Yeah. And no one has been able to quite explain what's gone wrong. I mean, I've heard opinions about not ordering enough drugs, and we've tried to get the best prices, or all sorts of different things, but... Um, no one really has been able to explain uh, whether it's the bureaucracy. It's very unclear, but it's been a total failure. and we're talking in some countries about five to seven percent of the population
1: yeah.
2: um, being vaccinated up to this point. When in the United States it's now up to twenty five percent and you know the U.S. is doing a terrific job right now with four million doses a day. So um,
1: yeah, there the, are the hot spots too
2: except the holdouts who don't believe in science. Um, vaccinated by the end of July.
1: So, I mean, in France, they've they've hired 8,000 police, I believe it is, to enforce uh, the the mandates that are being enforced. Oh,
2: absolutely. I mean, it's just a complete side, and it's kind of humorous. My son, when this whole thing began, did a little app for free, which was Radius. That's an app that basically tells you how far a distance you can go from wherever you are, because they had a lockdown here in Israel. Well, it's been, in France, where the 17,000 people downloaded it yesterday. It's a free app, but because uh, France is where the biggest lockdown now is once again. Mm. Um, people, you know, the French hospitals are reaching the point of capacity now. This is nothing compared to what's going on in Brazil. Brazil, we're talking about three or 4,000 deaths a day. Mm. And uh, the, the hospital system has collapsed at this point. They, people are dying, waiting to get into the hospitals. It's a complete and total disaster. Um, you know, it's the fear that everyone had would happen in the United States and other places has happened in Brazil at this
1: point. So, Mark, can't they isolate the, what the differences are in Brazil compared to other South American yeah, well,
2: countries? It, <laughs> the government did not take it seriously. Bolsonaro was a was a denier of, uh, of COVID-19. They did not take social distancing seriously. They did not wear masks. And by the time they realized, it was way too late. And plus, they have a, a more virulent version of it. The Brazilian variant is is much more contagious than the original uh, variant that was in the United States at the beginning. So, the, to combine the two, and that's what you have. Um, and you have it in some other places in South America as well. But Brazil has been by far the worst hit, worst government, worst policies. Mm, Governments matter when it comes to things like this. You know, we can all discuss, you know, whether you, how much government you want. And in peacetime and in non-pandemic times, the government is of minimal importance, basically. I mean, you want police, you want this, but it's not all that important to -to day-to-day life. When you hit a pandemic, you want to have a really good government in place to deal with it. Mm. With um, the right regulations, the right medical interventions, good hospital systems, backed up by the government and everything else.
1: And everything backed up by science as well. You know, and of course, when when you're saying that, I'm thinking of our own uh, state of Florida here and our Governor Duron DeSantis and the, what I think to be considered, I consider to be outstanding decisions he's made with with keeping the the uh, state open. But I mean, he's always said that if in fact there's scientific reasons to make changes, he would certainly do that. Up to this point, there hasn't been that. So what I appreciate is that he's making informed decisions about how to uh, operate. accept really this
2: ridiculous idea that, that banning of uh, um, uh, uh, vaccine passports. which I think is I don't understand that, but okay. Yeah. This, this, I, I, this, I certainly this whole do. idea that that's an infringement of rights. I don't really get. So that a an individual restaurant, private property, can not determine who comes inside. That's yes, an interesting.
1: They can. Uh, they can de- determine that. Uh, they can determine who. They just uh, can't mandate a passport in order to. To well, that's because decisions. they can't determine
2: it. They can't. They can't mandate the fact that people are vaccinated to eat inside.
1: Oh, that's, makes...
2: what that, that's what that effectively means. Yeah. Well, I think. No. So, I mean, that's that's, or, that's the question. Look, what's very clear is vaccinated people do not get sick in ninety-eight percent of the times, and they no longer and they don't carry the virus. So, if we want to end this, we need everyone to be vaccinated. That's the bottom line. It's the most amazing development in in scientific history the speed that this was developed and it's effective i mean there's never been a vaccine that's been quite as effective as this vaccine
1: right, was, so, thank you president trump for uh, making yeah, this happen
2: trump did a very great job of of getting the ball rolling and now it's up to the American people to to accept it
1: yeah mark we've got so, so many other things to talk about can you stick around absolutely all right we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden show on the Bob harden broadcasting network.
0: to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob
1: Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can find out more by visiting gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Right now we continue the conversation with Mark Shulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Again, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Bob. So it looks like uh, the Russians are all set to be uh, s- create some sort of a- aggressive move on the Ukraine. What are your thoughts?
2: Very much so. I'm not quite sure it's going to be an aggressive move. They're certainly they're certainly flexing their muscles. They don't seem to have enough troops. They have a lot. They have you know, They reinforced the border and sent more troops there, but they don't seem to have enough troops there to actually invade because Ukrainians are no pushovers at this point. Mm-hmm. So they need many more times what they actually have in order to successfully invade. It's so hard to know with Putin. You know, I was talking to someone about it. Said, "Well, is this a geopolitical issue?" We both least, we both came to the conclusion it's a psychological issue of Putin. What is it this man wants? What does he want to accomplish? And um, we what don't was, know. What, what answer did you talking they're, they're, they're building up their troops in the in the Arctic right now. Also, yeah. Uh, so it's really hard to know, you know, that they're punching above their weight, and that's, you know, that they're they're really trying. You know, we talk about the, we have to separate out really the Chinese and the Russians. The Chinese have a real economy behind them and real strength and everything else behind them. The Russians have a lot of nuclear weapons, but, but not the sort of economy or anything else that the Chinese do. Right. So and and they have a declining population. Keep that in mind. The Russian have a rapidly declining population because they've been way under two in terms of children per per couple now for at least 25 30 years.
1: Isn't that the case with the Chinese as well?
2: It is, but the Chinese, you know, the the Chinese have um, peaked much much higher. Yeah. They, yeah. You know, <laughs> when you when you go from 80 million to 50 million that's a much bigger deal than when you go from a billion point 1 to a billion.
1: And a lot of, a lot of uh migration into Russia or China for that matter so uh,
2: right no no, one, no one's rushing to to get into those borders. Let me tell you, you know, that's not the people come people cross the borders for two things: um, economic opportunities and political freedom. Right. and not much of either of those in those two places. Maybe a little economic opportunity in China, I would imagine. All right. So, what did you and your no friend? No freedom what, at all. So,
1: did you make a uh, conclude what uh, Putin is up to? What is it, What do you think uh, he's? What is he up to right now?
2: I don't know. Look, Putin. Putin's view of the world is he wants to get back the old Soviet Union. That's his dream. I mean, that we can assume is his ultimate goal. How he accomplishes it. Um, or how he thinks he's going to accomplish it is really a big question. I mean, certainly, creating chaos is, is a good thing for him. Mm-hmm. Chaos is, allows the Russians to expand their power and influence um, more than anything else. Um, he wants to undermine the United States. He wants to undermine NATO. Um, he wants to create problems for President Biden, who's rebuilding rebuilding the relationship with with NATO. Very hard to know. Yeah. Um, and of course, President Biden is is of course standing on the issue of human rights in Russia and the question of uh, what they've done to the dissidents and everything else. So um, we'll have to see. Um, The world is not a quiet place at the moment, I'm afraid.
1: No, it's not, although we've certainly seen uh, more uh, agitated times. But uh, let's move to Hong Kong and what's going on.
2: So in Hong Kong, we have a situation where the Chinese have voted basically to turn the what was an independent legislature in Hong Kong, which it was supposed to be based on the agreement that was signed for another 25 years. In other words, the agreement called for an for independent uh, legislature for another for, for another 25 years, mm-hmm. and the Chinese have now ended that basically are picking people who go on the legislature have to approve all candidates, and it's true of the fact that they are committed towards Mother China, let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. So, you know, whatever independence Hong Kong once had, it's at this point minimal to say the least. And, you know, the bunch of dissidents who were arrested for for free speech and other violations are um, being sentenced to many, many years in jail at this
1: point. Yeah, so the, it, China, uh, Hong Kong has been such an economic hub. I, I can't imagine people wanting to continue their businesses there. I would imagine there's a migration of businesses out of Hong Kong right now.
2: No question about it. It's certainly not a place that people want to be. Um, which is a shame. It really was a uh, really was a great place to do business. Um, at this point, if you want to do business with China, you might as well just be in China. In any case, deal with the same level of difficulty. Um, and people have moved. I mean, I think I think that for instance, the New York Times uh, bureau has moved, main bureau has moved to South Korea. If I'm not mistaken. Mm. Um, so yes, it's not a place where people really want to do business anymore. Um, I guess the Chinese decided they didn't need it anymore in that sense. Yeah, they didn't need a an entry door into China. You can just eat, you know deal with China as it is, better or for worse.
1: Yeah. So that raises the issue about Myanmar, or I should say uh, Taiwan, and what might be happening there. Stay tuned. Right. Right.
2: So that's a clearly a red line. Um, the Chinese have never given up on the hope of regaining Taiwan. Taiwanese people want independence and want democracy. You know, at a time when it looked like China was heading more towards democracy, there was more of a chance of peaceful reunification. Now it can only come at the edge of a gun, and that gun, and you know, I think, is still unlikely to be used because the United States made it very clear that um, attacking Taiwan, the United States would forced to come to their defense, and no one wants a war right now because. Wasn't a few of business, yeah, you know, I, and how should I put it? You know, the same thing could have been could have been said about World War One. Obviously, all the nations of Europe were trading, and between themselves, the war, the war destroyed all the trade that was going on in Europe. But there's a much certainly when it comes to China, there's a much greater integration between the business and the government. And I would be very surprised if the government's willing to risk war. And risk economic difficulties that would come from a
1: war. My goodness, though, it would be an awful war if, if it actually occurred. Let's, let's, oh, absolutely. Let's move to uh, Myanmar. It uh, looks like
2: there, they it's... just keep on killing the demonstrators. It's an amazing thing. Doesn't seem to bother them the slightest bit. And it's not stopping the demonstrators either. These are, these are really people who we have to really take off our hats to, mm-hmm. brave people who are willing to come out in the streets knowing they're risking their lives for the concept of democracy. And we should understand that. We should understand what that means. We should understand that people are willing, clearly willing to die for, de- for the idea of democracy. Yeah. And this is something they didn't even have for many years, but they want it back, and they don't want this military rule, and they're willing to die for it. Now, it gets really complicated, because what, what people don't know about Myanmar is that While there's a central government in Myanmar, there's all these areas with various ethnic groups that were never quite um, tamed by the central government, Mm -hmm. and they maintain a certain separatist, um, separatist administration, and they all had sort of entered into a ceasefire with the government, but many of them have now come out in favor of the demonstrators and started siding with the demonstrators. So we could really see a real civil war developing in Myanmar. Uh, between the military and both various ethnic groups as well as the people and the, the middle class people who want change or want, want it back yeah. the way it was before the military coup.
1: You know, it's so interesting that uh, some people just hold so dear what other people just don't even consider to be important until it's lost.
2: Oh, absolutely. And, of course, part of it is, you know, you uh, you don't know what you have until you lose it. That's
1: right. That is and, right. You know,
2: that's... That's the thing that most Americans need to understand. Democracy may not seem too fragile in the United States after all these years, but it really is a fragile thing.
1: It is indeed. I mean, the pre- President uh, Reagan said that uh, we're one generation away from losing uh, our democracy, so I think he was right about that. Hey, before I let you go, uh, any comments on the instability or what seems to be going on in Jordan, which is probably one of the most stable places? Yeah,
2: sure. So with Jordan... Jordan is mostly an issue of a family feud between the brother that became king and the brother that didn't become king, and the fact that the current king has now made his son the uh, next in line um, to inherit the crown when he dies. Um, It gets complicated because these various brothers have various tribes supporting them and parts of the military. It wasn't really a coup, but there was the fear of one that that made the current government crack down and um, house the rest, um, the prince who's not the king, and um, so there, there's a concern there relating to that. Yep. Uh, for the moment, it looks like the whole issue is over for the moment, but, you know, again, we need to understand with all these places, all these monarchies that are in close alliance with the United States, there's always palace intrigue.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. The saying sounds somewhat Shakespearean, quite frankly.
2: (laughs) Right, absolutely. It was some kings and queens of Shakespearean, you know. We're not used to the concept, even though we know it exists in the world, but it really is something so foreign to Americans.
1: That's absolutely true. But it's very
2: real in these places.
1: Absolutely. And they
2: have godlike powers.
1: Mark Schulman again, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. I do encourage you to visit the website, HistoryCentral.com. Mark. Genuinely appreciate your commentary here in the show. Thank you so much for joining Have us. Have a great week. You as well. Thank you, Mark. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Larry Reed. He is the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006 and I now have full range of motion in both knees and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. You,
0: Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTeig, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Right now we have with us Larry Reed, as I mentioned before the break. He is the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, thank you so much for joining us.
3: My pleasure, Bob. Thank you.
1: Uh, Larry, tell us about the Foundation for Economic Education.
3: Okay. We work with young people from high school to college age uh, all over the country and sometimes abroad. Our purpose is to educate and inspire them on ideas of individual liberty, private property, free enterprise, and personal character. And we do that through a very robust website, fee, F-E, uh, dot org along with uh, uh, some videos and daily commentary and a lot of in-person events, uh, certainly before COVID and soon, I think, to be resumed.
1: Absolutely, and uh, I've attended some of these national events, and I I must say that if you have a young person in your life, in high school or college age, I strongly encourage you to just help uh, help them get in touch with uh, fee.org, F-E-E.org. Well, as usual, you've written a very interesting column here, Larry, about Jim Thompson, the entrepreneur who single-handedly saved Thailand's silk industry and then vanished. Maybe you can tell us about it.
3: Okay. Yeah, he really was a remarkable man. He was born in Delaware in 1906. His full name was James Harrison Wilson Thompson. Uh, He did a stint during World War II for the OSS of the United States, which was the precursor to the CIA. Hmm. That may well have played a role in his eventual disappearance. We don't know. But he arrived in Thailand in 1945 on a military plane uh, just at the time that the uh, Japanese surrendered. So uh, he didn't have any military obligation uh, in Thailand, and he decided once he was there that he really liked the country and was going to stay, make it his home. Uh, And, of course, he needed some source of income, so he used his uh, entrepreneurial instincts and uh, decided that getting into the production of uh, hand-woven Thai silk would be a great uh, opportunity. He felt that the Thai silk industry had uh, sort of died off uh, under competition uh, from around the world, but that there was great potential to get it started again. And so with just a few hundred bucks in his pocket, he found um, enough uh, uh, Thai people who had the the skills uh, to get back into silk weaving that he started a company producing these beautiful silks uh, and did market them effectively around the world and was uh, doing extremely well within uh 10 years uh by late late 1950s uh... Um, the um, al- almost every ship or plane that left Thailand carried uh, silk to dozens of countries uh all made by silk weavers that he employed
1: such an interesting story i mean literally seeing an industry die and just the imagination and the entrepreneurship of just one person can bring this back alive and uh, revive, and into- how's the silk industry doing today, do you know?
3: Uh, what was that, Bob?
1: How's the sil- silk industry doing today, do you know?
3: Oh, uh, well, I think it's still doing well, certainly better than it was before Thompson yeah. uh, started it, but probably not as well as as if, um, as if it might have had he not had an untimely uh, disappearance at the age of 61. Uh, but... Um, Yeah, he did single-handedly revive that industry and is so credited in Thailand, where his uh, reputation is still very, very high, and his home, in fact, is quite a tourist attraction near Bangkok.
1: Yeah, you know, I just can't help but wonder, with the OSS connection, if that may have had something to do with his decision to stay in Thailand, number one, (laughs) and number two, with his disappearance.
3: (laughs) Yeah, there is speculation around that, that perhaps the Soviets were involved in some way, that this was a Cold War uh, disappearance. Uh, uh, I didn't get into that in the article because the most I could find was uh, speculation. Uh, But there's no question about the fact that uh, on the 26th of March in 1967, while he was vacationing in Malaysia, he went for a walk and never returned. And there was a massive search, more than uh, half a century later, still, there has never been a body produced. No evidence, no explanation. Uh, we just don't know. He just suddenly disappeared without a trace.
1: Isn't that so interesting? It's, it's just an amazing story. Well, you know, back to the intent, of course, uh, and your audience uh, for young people. Uh, and I would suggest this is just as inspirational for me as it is for somebody who might be high school or college age. But the, here's a person who just had an idea and made that idea come alive and, again, created tremendous uh, opportunity, not only for himself financially, but also for people all over Thailand.
3: Yeah, absolutely. It did enormous good for the silk weavers of Thailand and for that industry, providing employment, and uh, I'm sure that the benefits of that just spread into ever-widening circles throughout Thai society. And the remarkable thing to me is, just, just think about this, Here's a guy who conquered uh, barriers of language and culture mm-hmm. halfway around the world from his home. I mean, he could have just gone back to Delaware and found a, a, a nice job making uh, money working for somebody else, you know. But instead, he takes such a risk in uh, a, a challenging place and uh, produces tremendous success. And to this day, uh, years, so many decades, in fact, after he uh, disappeared. He's held in great uh, esteem in Thailand.
1: Just imagine starting off with just a few bucks. I think you said it's something like $700 in his pocket. 700 yes. Yeah, just amazing. And uh, to be able to to create a communication network uh, and to be able to build a business with such limited resources is just amazing to me.
3: Yeah, it really is. And he was an effective marketer, too. He, he had to go around the world uh, showing people the silk products that his weavers uh, produced and be able to say, hey, this is where you need to get your silk. And he had so improved the industry and innovated the product uh, that Thai silk uh, once again became the envy of much of the fashion
1: world. Truly an amazing story. Jim Thompson, the entrepreneur who single-handedly saved Thailand's silk industry, Larry, I just genuinely appreciate your commentary. I just want to remind our listeners to go to the website fee.org, F-E-E.org. Larry, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. My pleasure. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTegg. Jim is a former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. He retired just a little while ago, and now he's writing his latest two books, are uh, Follow the Leader and Shake the Money Tree, its sequel. Their murder mysteries located in Washington D.C. and of course I grew up in Washington D.C. so it just makes it all that much more interesting but I highly recommend both books. We're going to do that more right here on the Bob Harden show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting
1: Network. have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for, your designated beneficiary charity, gets half the profit after fix-up costs, and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. All Naples Auto Donations center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com you'll be glad you did
0: Welcome back to the Bob Harton show and now here's your host Bob Harton
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. I hope you'll check out Choice Social. It's a new and refreshing social networking platform. I'm on it. My show's on it. And I hope you'll check it out. Choicesocial.us is the website. We have with us Jim McTagg. As I mentioned before the break, he's a former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. He's an author of several books. His latest two, Shake the Money Tree and Follow the Leader. Follow the Leader is the first book. And they're both murder mysteries located in Washington, D.C., and really great reads. Jim, thank you so much for joining us here on the show.
4: It's a pleasure,
1: Bob. I'm sitting here
4: thinking that uh, we're not going to see a tax increase any uh, anytime during Joe Biden's uh, term. And it's not because he will suddenly be converted into a fiscal conservative. It's because uh,
1: of politics and the swamp. Wow. This is that is such an interesting point of view. Okay, give put a little meat on the bone and help us understand where you're coming from on this.
4: OK, it all comes down to 2022. Uh, there's an election. Uh, Joe Biden would love for the Democratic Party to pick up some senators. Uh, there are about eight competitive Senate races in 2022, including Florida. Uh if he hikes taxes it's going to put the brakes on the economy mm-hmm. i mean it will it will happen much faster than people anticipate absolutely uh, stocks will will crash yeah <laughs> uh you know because corporate earnings will be clipped significantly and uh, we will be put into a uh, recession uh during this crucial election year i think wiser heads will prevail in both parties, and you won't see a tax bill. I also believe that the $2 trillion infrastructure bill will be put on hold. Uh, And the reason is, uh, first of all, it's it's filled with all kinds of ridiculous, wasteful spending. Uh, But we have the next presidential election in 2024. You know, generally, uh, the party in power begins spending like, like crazy the year before the election, so they want to say keep some of their powder dry to make sure the economy looks good in 2023. Uh, and another reason I don't think the infrastructure bill will go anywhere is that it's so loaded with pork. Uh, you're going to have. Uh, I think uh, I wish I could buy stock in the lobbying industry because, um, and I would encourage my college kids to uh, you know you know go to law school and then go. Take their freshly minute all degree to K Street in Washington because this is going to be a golden age for lobbyists as people go fight over a piece of that two trillion dollar pie and I think those fights will be uh, so uh, pronounced that we're not going we're not going to see that infrastructure bill go anywhere either
1: I must say that if, if, if you had suggested this uh, that this would be true at the start of the show what you did actually, but it to me is just unbelievable that we will not see an infrastructure bill or a tax increase this year. The, the scene that the Democrats are so dead set upon making that happen. And uh, you're, are you suggesting that perhaps some Democrats are going to have second thoughts about moving forward with this? Yeah, I'm
4: suggesting that the the Democratic Party is not suicidal, and and this is really a you know these proposals are poison pills. Or the uh, Democratic Party uh, by what I call the Biden administration and I call it Biden because he he has so many advisors uh, f- from the Obama administration that it's it's like Obama too so so the Biden proposal would be suicidal for the Democratic Party because again uh, it's loaded with wasteful spending number one and number two, it would slam the brakes on the economy uh, just before uh, an important Senate election. And this, I don't think the Democrats
1: want to risk losing control of the Senate again. Yeah, so interesting. Po- such interesting points. How about H.R. 1? I mean, the, the whole notion of, he um, looks like he's trying to federalize the whole election process and some way take control. Uh, away from the states on, on making decisions. Now, several states have already responded, including Georgia, by the way, which is so interesting to see what <laughs> what's happened in Georgia. They're withdrawing the Major League Baseball uh, All-Star Game from Georgia. That according to uh, Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred. And uh, it, the day before, they, they signed an agreement with Communist China. <laughs> it's the hypocrisy. It's such a uh,
4: yeah, major... I, the corporations, you know... Uh, Georgia is Georgia and if you believe in the the federal system uh, they're entitled to pass their voting bill right uh, I personally have no problem with voter IDs and I I don't know what the problem is uh, you know you use an ID for virtually everything else uh, the Democrats are talking about having a uh, vaccination passport, yeah. on the one hand, which I find to be obnoxious is, is crazy. Uh, and yet they will not tolerate a voter ID to make sure that the, uh, the there is no uh, shenanigans in an election. It just, you know, it doesn't pass the smell test. No, so doesn't. when Major League Baseball and other corporations say they're not going to do business in Georgia, uh, I completely turns me off, and I, I want to remind your listeners that I was not a uh, Trump supporter. So um, I'm just not going to turn in Major League Baseball.
1: Right. Uh, I, I would. I would. I totally agree with that. I'm. I would boycott the uh, All Star Game. I, I have. Uh, I'm a b- uh, baseball fan, and I've avoided watching baseball this weekend. Although I must say I'm enjoying the Final Four. going to be a big game tonight. <laughs> It'll be really interesting. But Joe Biden has urged Major League Baseball to pull the All-Star game out of Georgia. He did so not even caring to seem to understand it's based on lies. He's uh, you know he's basically calling it Jim Crow, and it's the the law is uh, demonstrably uh, it's better than the law. For example, in Delaware.
4: Yeah. I. I saw no problems. I, I I think some of the uh, like the the water provision was so blown out of proportion, right? Uh, as not to make sense. Uh, I oppose early voting. I mean, I mean, you have to have some early voting, but if you have it too early, uh, you miss. I, I mean, it, it robs the voters of of uh, getting full information before they cast their ballots. I mean. Uh, how many elections have we seen go by where in the final week some major scandal breaks and, and the, the leading candidate turns out to be some kind of a scoundrel?
1: Uh, like the last people election. People have already <laughs>
4: voted way in advance. Yes, yeah, a, a lot of
1: people had buyer's remorse when they voted early for uh, for Biden. I, I think uh, because of the uh, Bobolinsky testimony and uh, with 100 and everything that was going on, but... Uh, you make a great point there. We do have early vo- voting here in Florida, and uh, I actually like it. It's very well controlled. You have to have voter ID. You have to sign. You have to do all the things to indicate and prove that you're uh, a registered or viable voter. But after that, I like the idea of being able to sit down with my ballot and take a look at all the issues that uh, perhaps I haven't thought about in the past that, that I'm asked to vote on.
4: Yeah, I I, I like to... Yeah, I, I'm not opposed to all early voting, but I think when you have early voting that extends for for almost two months, that's a, that's ridiculous. No, that makes good. Uh, that makes the, sense. The other thing about the Biden bill, that his uh, infrastructure bill, is that he's he's back in the business of picking uh, winners and losers in the economy. Uh, this is the, the as vice president with President Obama, he invested money in government money in Solandra yeah. the. Uh, Solar panel company and some other Spanish solar comp- company, and they both went belly up. So, it, and, and uh, uh, they didn't do their due diligence because apparently it was well known that Solander was on on shaky ground. And now he's swallowing Elon Musk's Bill, that the future is electric cars. Now, now let me say that Musk might be proven correct, but it's too early. I mean, uh, what. But what Biden's bill would do by investing money in a recharging infrastructure, $174 billion in recharging stations, is foreclose the possibility of competing technologies. Right. So so that if there's some bright young guy who, who figures out a way to uh, have an internal combustion engine y- using petroleum products that that are, is virtually pollution-free, it's not going to happen. Uh, hydrogen, uh, it cancels out. Hydrogen passenger cars yeah, um, yeah. You know, or, or some unknown, you know, who knows what's out there. Uh, but anyway, he's he's deciding the future for us, and that's always a, a, a big mistake. Calls to mind Jimmy Carter, who invested billions in a sin fuel plant. Do you remember that?
1: No, I do. To turn so-
4: coal into oil, and that was a total bust.
1: So yeah. it's, it's just taxpayer money. Down the garbage chute. Uh, you are absolutely right with that. And of course, the whole thing is premised on the idea that somehow, some way, these electric cars will reduce carbon emissions. Of course, how do the uh, car? How do they get recharged? <laughs> yeah. Boy, yes. yes, that's the
4: the big question. Uh, the other thing is passenger rail, which is really welfare for wealthy people. I mean, it would improve the Amtrak service primarily between Washington and New York City you know, for the fat cats from Wall Street to come down to Washington by train to lobby to get the tax breaks.
1: Well, Jim, Uh, I'm so so pleased to hear you make these comments about these bills. H.R. 1, we didn't uh, specifically talk about that, but is that going to pass?
4: Oh, well, yeah, I just think the federal government should keep its nose out of uh, state business. I mean, it's in the Constitution that the states are supposed to run those elections. Right. So, uh, you know, I am strongly in favor of uh, federalism. Uh, you know, the states are, what they say, you know, they say the states are the laboratory of, of democracy. The and what Sir Biden wants to do is shut that down. He wants, he really wants to do away with uh, the efficacy of state governments and turn them into like uh, uh, homeowner associations, uh, you know, with with uh, no power at all to determine
1: uh-huh. uh well, I must say, Jim, on in federal elections. Yeah, this this uh, conversation, this interview has put a smile on my face. I really generally appreciate the way that we're ending this. So I really appreciate your commentary here in the show. And again, I'll recommend your two great murder mysteries, uh, Follow the Leader and Shake the Money Tree. Jim, thank you so much for joining us here on the show.
4: It's a pleasure, Bob. I'm going to spend the day worrying about the border.
1: <laughs> thank you, Jim. <laughs> a good thing to be concerned about. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, tomorrow, I'm going to visit with our state senator, Kathleen Pasadena. Uh, Boo Mortensen will be joining us. And Seaton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government, will be with us. And Linda Linda Hardin, uh, author of uh, Readings from Paradise, will be with us as well. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden@hotmail.com. at hotmail.com.